When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. What does the strong U.S. jobs number mean for the Fed? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Brent Donnelly, president of Spectrum Markets. Hi, Brent. Hey, Maggie. How you doing? I'm doing okay. It's great to have you here with uh, you here with us today, and especially because we had such a busy week. So it's fantastic. We're going to try to cover a lot of stuff. Um, just let me get this off. Sorry, I'm getting feedback here. So uh, just a reminder to everybody, it is... Um, the extended daily briefing today. So we are going to unpack everything that happened this week and thoughts about that, get Brent's um, interpretation in the first half. And then in the second half, we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive into some five macro scenarios that investors need to consider and different ways to play them. So we hope you can join us for the entire conversation. If you're not a member already, just hit the link or scan the QR code. And of course, drop us your questions in the live chat boxes or tweet us at Real Vision. All right, Brent, so let's start with jobs. That blowout payroll number seemed to come out of nowhere and shock everyone. What did you make of it? Yeah, so there's a few things to say about it. Like you can't, there's no way to slice and dice it and say that it was a weak number. It was a strong number. Um, a couple of things though, January has the highest standard deviation of missed um, by a pretty big margin. Uh, there's a lot of technical boring reasons, like in terms of revisions and the way that they do the numbers, the, the way they do some of the rebalancing. So the average miss um, in a lot of months is like 60 to 80, which I'm talking about like what the economists expect versus what happens. And the miss is like 60 or 80. And January, it's almost double double that because of the uncertainty around the technical you know, stuff. So there's that. And then also, honestly, like... I don't think payrolls is that important overall. You get you have higher frequency stuff, um, like claims is generally better, I think. Yeah. Uh, like if you simply overlay initial claims against the unemployment rate, claims always goes way before the unemployment rate. So it's a lagging number that, yeah, like, okay, it, it definitely is a strong number and, it, and it's somewhat meaningful. But uh, to me, it's we, we knew all these things. There's a lot of layoffs and the people that are getting laid off are getting jobs right away. And there's 11 million job openings, which is basically the most there's ever been. And if you walk around your town, I mean, in my town, at least, there's a lot of help wanted signs in, you know, and not necessarily high paying tech jobs, but low paying service jobs or medium paying service jobs. There's still a huge shortage of workers. So I think Daly said today, it's like the most imbalanced labor, labor market in modern history or something like that. Yeah, so, that, that's great. That, that those Those are all... Great things to point out because it is, I mean, people have been struggling with the employment data for a while. We get huge revisions annually too. We did see 
to your point about the the different types of jobs, we did see the ISM services survey also stronger. Mm. Um, but it but it was such a big number on payrolls, and maybe people were just worried that they'd gotten a little over their skis in terms of anticipating that pause or pivot as well. I don't know. I think there's a bias, like a bearish bias, generally in a lot of media, especially on Twitter. So mm. people are generally. You see the layoff headlines, but there's never a headline like 10,000 people got hired at wherever, you know, but people get hired just as fast as they get fired in this economy. So you see all these layoff things, headlines, and that reads as very negative. But if 100,000 people get laid off and 99,000 of them get jobs, it doesn't like that obviously is a decent labor market. So I think really we've never seen a labor market like this. And to me, instead of like everyone trying to front run the weakness in the labor market, it's just like when it starts happening, then the trade is on whatever that re recession trade or whatever. And until then, you know, it's just like, I don't, I don't think there's any reason to front run it because it's unknowable when, when it's going to rebalance and like people to pick apart the, the jolts number. And like, there's a lot, a lot of different, there's humming and hawing about like claims and different rules in different States. People try to make excuses for every single number, but, I don't know. To me, you just look around and you can see that the numbers are somewhat telling the story of a very strong labor market that's way out of balance. And someday it'll probably change, but today's not the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some people have been, have been bringing up that point that don't look for evidence to support your belief. Just look at what is out right, there and, right. and then adjust your belief to that. And <laughs> it, it does seem hard uh, when so many people have been looking for the recession for so long, you know, mm. for, for the beginning of it to kind of find excuses. Colin pointing out that, um, as have many, that, yeah, it was a strong number, but the wages were pretty muted. So that was encouraging to people. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, overall, anything you look at in inflation, and that's what Powell was talking about at FOMC, is getting better, right? Like, or it's getting less bad. Um, so on a rate of change basis, all, all the stuff like wages, uh, CPI, goods, you know, look at what commodities are doing. Um, so certainly you have a strong labor market and better inflation story. And, and pretty much every single data point is showing something like that. Like there's some outliers, like Chicago came in that one time at 38 or something. But um, I would say in general, the real world is still pretty strong. The soft data has been extremely weak, but to me, the soft data, meaning the sentiment data, is a little bit, like, it's a little bit wrong in this type of environment because, especially on the consumer side, you feel really bad when inflation is, is skyrocketing, but that doesn't necessarily translate to poor nominal growth, right? Because in a nominal world, if inflation's going up 7%, then you know earnings and everything are probably going up seven percent on average as well mm -hmm. so in a world where you feel bad because of inflation to me that's a world where soft data will look a lot worse than the hard data mm -hmm. um, simply because hard data other than like gdp most most data is reported as a nominal number so inflation actually helps the data in, in strangely um because we live in a nominal world but people are feeling the inflation so when they get surveyed by the conference board or by university of michigan they say like, oh, I'm feeling shitty here, but it's because their their paycheck's not going as far. It's it's not because nominal growth is slowing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. And to your point about the media focusing on the 
on the negative um, as, as a longtime member of the media. It, it is true because a lot of some things have started to go down in ease. And the only headline I see is how expensive eggs are because that's the current obsession. So yeah. now I'm feeling shitty about the fact that my breakfast costs a lot, even though there's some other reasons for me to feel good. So that's it's a great kind example. Of, but meanwhile, yeah. oil's at the at six month lows and, there's, right. you know, and Russia's stopped selling oil to half the world and oil's at six month lows. But that doesn't get as much press. Yeah. Yeah, as the egg problem. As so, eggs. so, uh, so, so, are you rethinking, or do you think the market is going to rethink the Fed? Because it seems like, you know, the, we had the Fed, the ECB, the BOE all hiking rates this week, and investors were looking straight through that, and the fact that the economies were slowing, and that the and that you know there was going to be a pause or a pivot. Is that debate alive again now? Based on, I mean, one number again, it is one jobs number, but. You know, did today cause people to say, mm, hang on, maybe we got ahead of ourselves or no? So it, like, I don't want to get too much in the weeds on, on rates, but people are saying like that the, they're expecting a Fed pivot or like commentators have generally been saying like there's rate cuts priced into 2023. Therefore, everyone's expecting the Fed to pivot. I don't think that's really accurate. What it is, is more like a probabilistic distribution of what could happen. So either the Fed's going to stay on hold or there's a bad recession and they're gonna to cut 200 or 250 basis points. So there aren't a lot of outcomes in between, I don't think in people's minds. So if you assign say a 20% chance of 250 basis points of cuts, then that looks like 50 basis points in the curve, right? Which is what's priced in. So I think if you went around and asked like traders that trade rates, not very many people expect a 50 basis points of cuts from the Fed. They either expect 200 or they expect zero because they either think things are going to tick along or they think there's going to be a recession. So yes, I think the people that are calling for a recession have to start questioning like whether that's possible, you know, ISM new orders. It to me it looks like everything kind of hit the lows in November December in terms of sentiment. Mm. And like I said, I don't think sentiment is a great tracker for the hard data. I think the hard data has to be in, evaluated independently and the hard data has been good. So so yes, I think like there was people kind of either soft landing or pretty bad recession seem to be like the two main camps. And some people are gonna have to leave the, the recession camp, I think. I mean, the, the whole argument now or a big huge part of the argument now for recession is the yield curve, right? And to me, maybe maybe 10 year rates just start going back up and that's what what fixes the yield curve, but we'll see. Yeah, well, we certainly saw yields on the move today, although they all were um, moving higher. So when you- oh, you know what? Sorry, I don't think I answered your question about the Fed, the, yeah. the actual, like what I think about Fed policy. So I don't think that the number changes anything for the Fed because essentially now they're in like, we're in restrictive territory or and it's kind of like wait and see with a couple more small 25s. And I think that's what they would be doing almost no matter what anyways. Um, unless we saw like a big rebound in commodity inflation or something, like if oil went to hundred bucks or something, they would get nervous. But otherwise, I think what they're looking at now is like the long and variable lags of the big cut, big, sorry, the big hikes, the 375 basis point hikes. Um, and, and then, you know, obviously there's going to be more coming more 25s probably. And I think what they're trying to do now is kind of land the plane and like do the soft landing thing. And I mean, to me, Powell sounded irrationally confident in their ability to to stick the landing so you know we'll see um but to me the 
there, there's just as much risk that inflation just picks back up um, as, as there is of recession to me. I don't know. I just can't see how you have a, a meaningful drop in in the overall economy when housing's already basically like done its thing for a year. The labor market's strong, government spending strong, healthcare spending's coming back a lot because all the healthcare that people didn't do during COVID, they're now starting to get elective surgery and all that. So there's a lot of sectors and services obviously are still booming and can't find enough workers. There's just a lot of, and, and the consumer balance sheets are still okay, even though they've drawn down. So there's a lot of strength, underlying strength, I think. And so to me, the risk in, in terms of a policy mistake will be that inflation just doesn't go down as much as they think. And then, so they pause for a while and then they have to hike again. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah, and there, there are, there is a sort of lively and vocal camp that agrees with you about that second wave of inflation. You know, it's it's really interesting because as we've started the year, I mean, last year was so brutal on so many levels for people. You know, so many the correlations broke down, so many people were on the wrong end of things, and it was just a it was just a tough year. And I think coming into January, it seemed like everyone wanted like a clear narrative, you know, some mm. clarity about what's happening. But it doesn't seem like we're getting that. H- how do no. you? Mean that? in that environment yeah so it's funny because i always laugh when like economists say oh there's tremendous uncertainty like obviously there's always uncertainty like because we don't don't have a crystal ball but i feel like the number of different scenarios and how different like how radically different the possible scenarios are right now is pretty uncommon like i think last year pretty much from day one it was like okay feds hiking into a bubble and to me, the narrative was pretty clear for almost the whole year. And there wasn't like this wide range of different things that could happen. Um, it was just like kind of like how much are stocks going to go down and how bad will it get and, and that kind of thing. Where's the Whereas, low? Right. Yeah. 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 Like bad, but how bad kind of thing. But now it's like you could have no landing, soft landing. You could still have like I'm I'm not expecting recession, but like obviously that's a possibility too. So the range of outcomes from like, you know, immaculate reflation to disinflationary collapse are almost all of those things are possible by like December of 2023, which is insane. Yeah, it is. And I think it really, it makes it really hard. We're going to dig into some of those scenarios um, a little bit later in the show. I want to ask you about the dollar first though, uh, because there's been so much sort of happening and some of the numbers on stocks have been eye-catching. And of course we're in earnings season. So a lot of the focus has been on equities. Um, bring us up to date on what you're watching with the dollar, because it was strengthening today, but we had seen a big pullback from from those highs that it hit. Where are we in terms of dollar outlook? Yeah, so I'm just going to rewind a little bit just to give a little bit of the lead up to here. So essentially, we were in like that there's no alternative to U.S. assets thing for a very long time. Um, U.S. yields were higher. U.S. all the money was being made in U.S. tech. So basically we just had massive inflows into the US for many, many years. Um, I think there's a chart of that actually, if you, if you can throw it up, the one from 2012 till now, it shows the ratio of QQQ to the rest of the world. So QQQ being NASDAQ. Um, 
and it essentially was going up for 10 straight years. Then that kind of peaked, but then you had the energy crisis in the EU. Yeah, there's the chart. Um, then you had the energy crisis in the EU, massive terms of trade shock. So that kind of took the baton from the like, yay, US is good to like UK is in a fiscal crisis, EU is in an energy crisis. So that was the next leg of dollar strength. And then now you have like, there's many alternatives to the US, right? You can invest in boons. The German yields have, have compressed significantly. People are buying European equities. Um, so money's flowing all back out into the world. Um, and US yields are, are lower relative to peers. So that, and then the energy crisis basically ended overnight. So warm weather and I don't know, people just overestimated how much of a shock it was going to be um, and prices collapsed. So now all the things that were driving the dollar higher stopped. Um, but now that, so that, that was why the dollar had been selling off for most of 2023 was that you had all these drivers of strong dollar all disappeared at once. And then the dollar dropped pretty much in a straight line in, in 23. But now everything has kind of gone back the other way. Um, if you can just bring up that same chart again for a sec, if you look at the very end of it, you'll see that um, just, it's a little hard to see, but if you look at the very most recent data, you can see that the NASDAQ has started catching up again to the rest of the world. Um, and the money flows have kind of balanced out. And then if you bring up the chart of Germany uh, versus US yields, you can see in that chart that it's it's pretty much the same story that Germany was, so you, that's, that's only, that only goes back, I think, to a couple of months, yeah, to October. So you can see that that line going up is German rates going up faster than US. And then it, there was kind of this big blow off on FOMC because everyone's like, okay, he doesn't care about financial conditions. That's pretty wild. And then ECB was, I would say like on the hawkish side um, from in terms of language, but obviously the market reaction was extremely dovish. Um, so then you see that thing crashing in the last couple of days. So in a way, it looks like now all the drivers of the weak dollar have kind of fizzled out. And like, I don't necessarily mean think that means the dollar has to explode to the top side, but I think we're in more of a two-way market now. And then like one of the big trades that people were trying to do was short dollar yen um, because we, we thought, many people thought, including me, that the BOJ was going to normalize um, and that Kuroda did that in December and that was opening the door to higher yields in Japan. But now like a lot of the smoke signals seem to be that they're, they're trying to lean in a little bit more caution, like cautious direction. Mm. So to me, I think that means that, you know, money is going to start coming back to the U S. Um, and if, if things are growing here, like the innovation and all the sort of tech and all that kind of stuff, it's always going to attract money as long as things are stable, like as long as the economy is stable and advertiser, advertisers are spending, because that would be a concern for Google, for example. Um, so with the data getting better, I think that that supports the dollar for now. And, and that means money will start coming back to us. Um, and, and then also, I think that I, I could see, like I said, I could see 10 year yields going back to 3.9 or something from here, like they're at 3.5. Mm. So generally, if that happens, U.S. yields go to three nine, then that probably means U.S. yields are going up more than everyone else, and that's good for the dollar too. So, in the short run, I'm a little bit more supportive, uh, or or a little bit more positive on the dollar. Um, but I I think kind of to your point about like how do you navigate when there's so many different things going mm -hmm. on or so much confusion? Um, 
I think this year is going to be a year where you just kind of like, I'm a trader, as you know, not, not an investor. Um, so for me, it's more like riding the narrative and, and getting off quick, because I think we're going to have a lot of different narratives this year. Um, and trend following did very well last year. And I think it will probably do very poorly this year. Oh, really? That's interesting. It seems like people's, it, it seems like people naturally gravitate toward trend, trend, uh, following because yeah. it, you know, it's a story and, and they can get behind it. In fact, they, if, if Twitter's any indication, feel very strongly about yeah, the trend yeah. they believe in. Well, that's human <laughs> no. nature, right? Is that like the price reinforces the narrative in a way because people see the price going up and a lot of people believe that there's a signal in the price. So the more it goes up, the more the powerful the narrative becomes in people's minds until obviously that feedback loop gets broken. A, a couple, uh, for, I, I, we have a question actually um, about, sure. uh, if I can find it, about uh, commodities. Uh, yeah, uh, Jonas asking, how come commodity index is breaking lows despite the global economy being so resilient? I think that's more of a blip, really. I think it's more to do with, so when financial markets get excited about commodities, it really breaks the market in a way. Like the, the commodity markets aren't big enough to handle the financial flows. So like mm -hmm. in 2008, you saw that when, when there was sort of this new regime of commodities as an asset class was like a thing mm -hmm. in 07, 08. Um, and it's become a thing again, like commodity hedge funds are getting a lot of inflows and stuff. So when commodities are heavily traded by specs, it just ends up breaking the market a lot. So what you have right now specifically, so generally in normally, normally functioning commodity markets, you kind of view commodities as a reflection of demand, of global demand, which is kind of what the question is implying, right? Mm. But then when financials get, financial people get too involved and the exit doors are too small, then you get things like this. So what we have now is specs were long oil because of uh, Russia and, and all that stuff. And then the China reopening is supposed to be a consumption story. So people got long oil again, um, a, a new group of people or the same people or whatever. And so the China reopening, the issue with that is that like, yes, it's happening and yes, it's meaningful. But if you went long oil on January 6th for the China reopening, I mean, they're still doing the COVID like herd immunity thing, right? They're, they're not like massively consuming yet. The consumption story is like a Q2, Q3 story. So how do you get from like the people front running the demand to the actual demand? Maybe there's a couple of wobbles in between. And I, I think that's what this is. It's just a wobble. Um, and I, so I don't think it's reflecting poor economic growth. It's just reflecting that everyone's long and getting hurt. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. That positioning, that's so, for, this is why these conversations are so valuable because there are all these inputs and sort of ways of looking at the market. And I think, you know, the first thing we do is read a fundamental story into it. But so many of the conversations we're having 
here um, are about exactly that. What's happening in the options market that may be influencing things in a way we can see. And your point about, you know, a lot of the speculative money, we used to call it hot money, fast money, whatever, you know, it's yep. that, that more of that instit institutional professional money that goes, moves in very quickly can have repercussions in a way. Mm. Um, I think you're absolutely right. And by the way, we had, we had a very, very excellent analyst at an event we did um, in Barcelona who was talking about how much the Chinese had stockpiled ahead of the reopening because we didn't right. know they were going to do it, but they knew they were going to do yeah, it. And so yeah, that, wow. um, and uh, gosh, he was dead on that call mm. and he said they were yeah, going to reopen call. and they did. Yeah. It was tremendous. Actually, so since we're, we're talking about commodities, if you want to bring up, uh, do you want to talk about silver or not really? Yeah. Let's, let, let's go for it. Yeah. Um, because I know that's not exactly related to the question. Cause that's more of like a financial product than a, than but, a real commodity event. Yeah, but it is it is interesting. Well, I I would say it's both though, right? Because you're, yeah, the, the benefit was it's real life implications. But I also heard people talking about it as the asset they liked. And right, based. right. It kind of has like silver can be anything you want it to be in a way because there's like an EV component and like you know when growth is good, people do consume more, companies consume more silver for cars and stuff like that. Um, so I just think this is a really interesting one because if you remember, I think it was like 2021, I guess when M2 was exploding, like they were doing all the fiscal and monetary, everything was like being stimulated like crazy. And everyone was coming on CNBC saying like, I'm long gold because M2 is exploding. And you know, the, the, the institutions have gone crazy. They're printing all this money or whatever. Um, and if you can bring up the chart of, of M2 versus silver, you can see like now M2 is negative for the first time. This is the first time ever. Like my chart only goes back to 2010, but M2 doesn't usually go negative. Um, and yet like gold and silver have held up pretty well. So the whole narrative basically has flipped, right? So you had very low, like negative real rates. You had a lot of negative yielding bonds. So that was like, okay, I can buy precious metals because the, the opportunity cost is minimal, right? Like the, the worst part about precious metals is that you don't earn a yield. So if you have money in T-bills at 4% or gold, think about over 10 years, you're losing a lot of money in gold unless it goes up a lot, right? So th that makes people want to switch. But the funny thing is like real rates now have gone way higher and gold and silver kind of hung in. So everyone's like, oh, I guess, it, I guess we're going to be okay on these longs. And what it was is central banks have been buying a ton, right? So in 2022, uh, there was a lot of central bank buying of gold. But the issue now, again, it's kind of like a microstructure issue a little bit, but it's also fundamentals is that like the fundamentals to me turned against the metals but the price stayed high. So then, like I said, people believe in price. So they said like, oh, good news, bad price or bad news, good price. And then, but if the central banks aren't there for a couple of days, then they, this, these waterfall moves happen because the CTAs are trying to liquidate. And if there's no bid from the central banks, there's no bid from anyone because everyone's already got all the gold and silver that they want. Um, mm. So I think it's an interesting setup in that all the reasons that you were long gold and silver in 2021 are basically completely backwards now. And yet now people are just staying long, but they're just giving different reasons. And usually I find that's like a bad, that's a bad, the bear like signal. It's, it's a logic <laughs> fail. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's one other chart, uh, which shows silver against 10 year real rates. So that's just rates suggested for inflation, um, as, not not CPI, but market market based inflation measures. So that gray thing, um, I have to flip it so that it overlays with silver. So that gray thing going down means real rates are going up. So you see in like 2020, real rates collapsed and silver went up. So silver is the blue line. 
and now real rates are are ripping obviously right they're way back they're all the way back to like 2011 levels um but yet silver is like just kind of going and eh, like starting to tip over um so i think now that the price has kind of broken i think now the narrative will break and people will be like shoot why am i holding gold when you know first of all rolling it is very expensive when interest rates are high because of the opportunity cost and then also like you can just put your money in t-bills and and make four percent so if gold is some kind of like cash proxy for people like which i know a lot of people just think it's going to five thousand, and that's over time and that's fine like it's an insurance and it's three percent of their portfolio or whatever mm. but if you're more of a trader or more of like if your time horizon is less than like two years then to me the reasons all the reasons to hold precious have gone away and you're lucky to be able to sell at these levels I think that is uh, a great thing to bring up time horizon because that is, that is, I think, super important because we've definitely had some people and we just did a, a an installment of looking for the upside uh, that's on the platform with Rick Rule, longtime commodity person. He makes his case for gold, but his time horizon is probably very different than yours, right? And right, so that is right. that's a really important distinction. Even short term, you may disagree, but if his his thought is longer term and he's looking at macro issues that are, you know, will unravel over the course of a decade, that's going to yeah. look very different than a shorter term horizon. So a very interesting comment on the, you were talking about trend, that trend following trade was successful last year, not likely to be successful this year. Uh, somebody making the brave comment, um, Tesla is a clear trend following pick. Um, Anti-Tesla person, so thinks it's a total bubble right now. We know there are very strong feelings around Tesla, mm. but my question is, do you think some of these um, sort of single stock stories, I sort of hate that phrase meme. Everybody knows I don't like that, that, that calling it that, but some of the meme trades are the high flying momentum trades. We see them on again. First of all, what do you think of that? And is that an example like a, like a Tesla where it's a trend play? Is that what you were referring to or you think um, about it differently? Yeah, so I would say that it's a perfect example of something that won't trend. <laughs> um, so if we can bring up the chart, I actually have a chart of Teslas. I've been writing about Tesla a lot in my educational stuff because um, I mean, it's just a great thing to talk about because it's so interesting. Um, but essentially what you had at the end of last year was uh, a lot of tax loss selling and a lot of forced liquidations by tech hedge funds. So people were pulling their money out of, of, you know, the, the tiger type of funds that, that had been outperforming and that were massively underperforming. And so there was a lot of forced liquidation. And then you can see where, right, where that line, black line is, that's the, the turn to the new year. So essentially at that point, so all those people are basically selling at any price, right? They, they sold it from 190 all the way down to hundred in one month. Mm. And, you know, rational agents don't tend to do that kind of stuff. Um, but there's certain times of the year when you're just like, oh, well, I'm just getting out of this. This is stupid. <laughs> so that's what was happening there. And then you actually had some bad news at the start of the year. Like there was the bad deliveries number. Mm. Uh, I think it was expected 430,000. It came in at 404, which is like a huge miss for a growth company. Um, and the stock tried to go down and then they did the price cuts. The stock tried to go down. And then, but the thing is, there's just no sellers because everyone sold on December, you know, 15th to December 30th. So I, to me, this is more of a seller strike than some like rebirth of, of the, the long-term structural trend in, in meme stocks. I think it's, you know, if you look at like Carvana, I think I have a, yeah, I have a chart of Carvana, if you can bring that one up. Um, it, 
it, those things that like people, there was also a huge short position in Tesla, um, but in Carvana, Carvana is kind of the textbook, like basically a bankrupt company in most people's minds. Um, and yet like the stock's up, it's a five bagger in the last five weeks. It's gone from like 370 to 20 bucks. Um, that again, I, I don't think it's going to trend back up to $50. It's probably still a bankrupt company, I think in most people's minds. Um, it, this, this is just a technical, more of a technical reversal, but it's not all technical because if you look at like what people were thinking on December, whatever, 20th, in terms of like the U S economy and sentiment, like how it felt and how it feels now, like the soft landing vibes have got way, way, way stronger in the last month. So it's a combination of like, it's basically the bears worst nightmare happened in January, right? You got like the, everything was kind of Goldilocks on the economy and everyone went into the massively short into a seller strike essentially, because all the forced selling ends once the liquidations are done and then you, the beach ball pops out of the water. So, um, but is it going to trend higher? No, I don't think so really. I mean, like I'm not an auto analyst, but I did go to business school and in business school, I think the the common sense observation would be that price wars and like competition finally catching up to you when you're a growth company trying to grow 50% a year and cutting prices and cutting margins is, is bad. Um, especially at like six, when it's at six times sales or something like that. So I'm definitely not bullish up here. Um, but I think the move makes sense. Like it, I, I think at Tesla being at hundred on December 30th was a gift to anyone that was trying to buy. And I was writing about that. It's not hindsight because I wrote yeah. a thing about it. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, and again, it's, it's, it's fantastic to look at it from a different lens in terms of where everybody was positioned and the, the confluence of events that is yeah. going to cause that. Um, I, I definitely have some questions that are a little bit broader on the whole risk on aspect of it, which we will do in just a second, but that wraps up the first part of today's extended daily briefing. We are going to continue the conversation with Brent on the Real Vision platform. So come on over and join us. If you're not a member, you can click the link or scan the QR code and figure out how you can do that. So hopefully we'll see you on the other side. If not, we'll see you again next weekend. Have a fantastic couple of days off. Have a good weekend. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.